0: Good morning. If you've got a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 10. That's where we're going to be this morning. Before we pray, I am going to read from verses 34 to 43. We're going to go through the whole chapter this morning, but I'm just going to read these 10 verses before we pray. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Father, we praise you this morning as we sang just a few minutes ago that you alone can rescue, you alone can save. Only through Jesus Christ do we know that we have eternal life beyond the grave. You can lift us up and will if we have believed in you. Father, we praise you for giving your only son on our behalf. As we study your word this morning, we ask that you would move in us by your Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin, to motivate us toward sharing the gospel, to help us catch a vision of your heart for the world. I pray for each person in here, Father, that you would make our minds clear. Pray remove distractions from this week, distractions from our daily lives. Allow us to focus on your word. I pray, move in our hearts that our resistance, our rebellion, our fears and anxieties, we would place in your hands during this time and trust your word. And I pray that we would then move out from here and obey. We thank you, Father, and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have loved this year, A&M being a part of the SEC. Everybody, I'm sure, has enjoyed that. Uh, it's been great in many ways to see our school compete with some of these other schools that have really strong programs. Uh, however, I have to acknowledge that in one way, it's been a little bit challenging for me personally. I don't know about you, but ever since I became an Aggie, back when I was a freshman, uh, all of our uh, football hopes and dreams were often centered around beating Texas, right? And uh, around playing that game. And so uh, there were years, I mean, you could, you could lose six, seven games, but if you beat Texas, that was a good year, right? And uh, so even in our fight song, it talks about wanting to say goodbye to Texas University. And uh, now that we have actually said goodbye, to Texas University, I have to admit there's a little bit of this kind of void in my heart because I go now. Where do I direct my anger and my hatred? Right on on uh, <laughs> on Saturdays, where do I where do I direct all of that? And everybody's like, well, we can build new rivalries, right? Maybe LSU. I mean, that that could end up being I know. See, it could be a big rivalry, but the deal is. I only know a few people from there. I knew a lot more people who went to TU, and some people are like, Arkansas, but it's like it seems a silly place to direct my raids. They've got enough problems up there already, and so (laughs) it's like, I don't know exactly uh, what I'm supposed to do, and and I have this feeling, and maybe you do, what do you do when all of a sudden your old enemies and rivals are no longer there? What do you do when you have directed all of this passion and energy in, into being angry or disliking another group, and then you go, well, wh- where do I direct that now? Where do I direct that energy and passion? All right, that feeling that some of us have uh, is, a, is a familiar feeling to those who first came to know Jesus Christ, particularly among the Jewish nation. Just like as Aggies, we have been raised up and trained to dislike TU, they were raised up and trained to be suspicious of and to dislike Gentiles. Gentiles were the other group, the group that was unclean, the group that you didn't spend time with. They ate different foods, they participated in different activities, they were literally to the Jewish people, unclean. You couldn't go in their houses. You couldn't eat a meal with them because God had chosen the Jewish people as his holy people to represent him to the world. And by intermingling with the Gentiles, every good and devout Jew was afraid, if I do that, I might slip into idolatry. Because the Gentiles worshipped other gods. If I do that, I might fail to be pure and holy as God has called me to be pure and holy because the Gentiles were not. And yet as we get into the New Testament, all of a sudden, all of the old lines begin to be blurred. Everything begins to shift. And what we see is now God in Jesus Christ and then through the early church reaching out to groups of people who were previously considered outside And that's why Ephesians 4, it talks about this. It says, in Jesus Christ, God has broken down the barrier of the dividing wall. Because of the law, because of their ritual purity, because of who they were, there was always a wall between Jew and Gentile. Now it is breaking down. And that's confusing to people who have spent their whole lives under a system that separates them. And as we get into Acts 10 this morning what we're going to see is a story that illustrates to us really for the most for the first time in a really dramatic way in the New Testament that God is now reaching out to Gentiles. It's going to illustrate really for the first time that God has a heart for all the world, all the nations. Now, what's interesting is uh, the background and the pattern for this actually had been laid in the Old Testament, all the way back to God's formation of the Jewish people through Abraham. There were hints that God would one day reach out beyond the Jewish people and that the reason he was constituting them as a people was to reach out to the world. But they didn't see it that way until the time of Jesus. And then what happens is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything because it paves the way for the Spirit of God to enter into the church and clean everybody from the inside out, apart from the law, apart from the rituals that made them clean or unclean, apart from ethnicity. And the apostles in the early church have to adjust. And what we're going to see in this passage is that there is no group outside of God's concern. God is a missionary God. That's what we're going to see in Acts 10. God is a missionary God who is always reaching out to bring men and women from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation to himself, no matter how far away they may seem. And so when we get to the very end of the story in the book of Revelation, we see God's plan come together. Revelation chapter 5, the elders before the throne, they sing a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God and they will reign upon the earth. God's plan always includes people from every nation. God is a missionary God. That's why at Grace, we are a missionary church. That's why among the college students who've come through here over the years, we have dozens and dozens who are overseas sharing Jesus all over the world in different contexts. That's why every year we make a big push to send people on summer trips, six-week summer trips, because we believe that it reflects the heart of God to say we wanna go to those who are different who are other of another culture, another language, another religion. We're going to push outward and share Jesus Christ. That's the great commission that God wants to bring all men and women to know him, to have an opportunity to hear him, no matter their nationality, no matter their ethnicity. That's the message of Acts 10. All right, so we're going to dive into Acts 10. And as we do, ask yourself this question, do I share God's heart for the world or am I comfortable where I am? Do I share God's heart for the world and constantly look around for opportunities to participate in what he's doing around the world, or am I comfortable where I am? All right, Acts chapter 10, let's look at it real quick. Beginning in verse 1, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision, an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. All right, so this guy Cornelius, let me just uh, set up a little bit of who he is. He is a Roman centurion. All right, the Roman centurions were sort of like the backbone of the Roman army. They were equivalent to a captain. They were over about a hundred men, and underneath them, there would have been several units of eight to ten men led by what we might today call lieutenants. And so this centurion is an influential man. He's kind of in the center of the army. There are certain certainly officers above him, and there are officers below him. He's like a captain. And this particular guy, Cornelius, he's what we know as a God-fearer. That means he worships the God of Israel, but he hasn't gone the whole way toward being what we might call a proselyte. A proselyte was a man or a woman who says, I want to enter fully into the life of the Jewish community. And so they would go through ritual purity baths, they would offer sacrifices, and for the men, they would be circumcised. All right, so there were many more women proselytes than men, as you might imagine. And so this guy, he is a God-fearer who says, I, I worship the God of Israel. I don't worship the God of the Romans. I worship the God of Israel. He prays to the God of Israel. He gives alms to the temple and he aligns himself with Yahweh. He's a devout man, a devout centurion. And it's very interesting that it's a centurion because as you go throughout the New Testament in the ministry of Jesus, actually centurions play a significant role. Uh, right in Mark eight, you see a centurion coming over to Jesus, and he says, "Hey, can you heal?" Or Matthew eight, excuse me, can you heal my servant? And this, and Jesus says, "Sure." Show me where he is, and the centurion says, "You know what? Now you don't even need to come into my house. I know you're a great man. I know you connect with God. I know that you know Him. You just say the word, and he'll be healed." And Jesus says, "Wow, I haven't even seen this faith among the people of Israel." It was also a centurion who was among the first Gentile of the Gentiles to worship Jesus. You remember at the cross after Jesus died, it was a centurion guarding the cross who knelt down and said, surely this is the son of God. And I think the reason God chooses these centurions is because they are representative Gentiles. They are hated Romans. They are considered far from God. And even though Cornelius is a God fearer he still could not enter the temple He still could not eat with the Jewish people. And yet God reaches out to him. God appears to him in a vision. Why? Because like we said, God is a missionary God. He doesn't make Cornelius come find him first and then say, oh yeah, Jesus is the son of God. Instead, Cornelius is praying. He's praying to God and God appears to him and says, I'm going to share with you the truth of who I am through this guy, Simon Peter. You need to go find him. And at first we look at that. And if you have read the Old Testament, it seems strange. Why is God reaching out to this man who is outside, unclean, a Gentile. And yet, like we said, it's consistent with who God is. You look at Genesis 12, the first time that uh, God speaks to Abraham, we see that God is reaching out to the world. Let me show you Genesis chapter 12. All right, now the Lord said to Abram, "'Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing.'" And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And then get this, and then you, all the families of the earth, will be blessed. God had chosen Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, to be a blessing ultimately to all the families of the earth. As you work your way through the prophets, you see this theme come up again and again, and that God isn't just going to call the Jews, he's also going to call all the nations of the earth. Isaiah chapter 49 is a good illustration. And now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant, all right, speaking of the Messiah, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord and my God is my strength. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. The message was there. They just didn't always get it. That in Jesus Christ, God wanted to reach the world. He's always reaching out. That is the character of God. He's always reaching to those who are outside, He's always looking to bring them in. I tend to be a person who is a bit more introverted just in my daily life. In fact, I recently took kind of a personality assessment, a gift strength deal. And I sat down with the evaluator of this test. And he said, one thing you need to be aware of is you have what we call a low need for affiliation. right, and that's a nice way of saying uh, you would prefer to study, you would prefer to read than to hang out with people all the time. You gather your energy from being alone, and some of you are like that. On the other hand, uh, one of my daughters, my middle daughter, Abigail, I asked her permission to talk about her for a minute. She is four and a half years old. She has what you might call a high need for affiliation. Uh, It's not uncommon for me to come in here and meet students and have them say, are you Abigail's dad, Right? Uh, we go to the grocery store and before we leave, she's friends with the checkers and she knows them and they know her and they're wanting to give her gifts of fruit and things like that, you know. Uh, I was this summer actually at the swimming pool with the kids and Abigail was there with us and uh, as I was kind of watching all, kid, all the kids at one time, I looked over and was keeping my eye on our two-year-old son and when I looked back over to Abigail, she was holding somebody else's baby. And... Uh, I looked over and I thought, in a matter of about a minute and a half, she met this woman and convinced her to give her her child. (laughs) Because she's always reaching out. She's always looking for friends. That is who she is. And I think of her and I think that is probably more consistent with the heart of God. He says, I want to know you. I always reach out to everybody because I care because I want no one to perish, but all to have the opportunity to receive eternal life. He says that about individuals. He also says that about nations. And so Peter and the apostles are going to begin to realize that God is reaching out through them. He has this plan to reach the whole world. In the Old Testament, he actually did that through the testimony of the Jewish people. As they were holy and other nations traveled through Israel, they would hear about the God of Israel. Men and women like Cornelius and they would worship him. As they were exiled even out into Babylon and they continued to worship God, you have guys like Daniel that stand firm in a foreign culture and testify to the greatness of God. That is always, always his plan. It's not until Jesus that we begin to see the full picture. This plan is progressively revealed throughout the scripture until when you get to the New Testament, you go, wow, God has been arranging this from the beginning to bring all nations to his light. And after the coming of Christ, it's revealed more and more fully that Jesus has abolished these barriers between Jew and Gentile, and he's reaching out to the world. I'm curious if you and I share that missionary heart of God. Do you know that here at A&M, here on this campus, in this town, there are 4,000, just over 4,000 international students from over 128 countries. I wonder, have you ever met one, talked with one, had them out for lunch over to your apartment? and ask that God would give you an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody who will take it back across the world to their land. Maybe God's put you here for that purpose. I was also thinking this week, it's probably easier and cheaper right now to fly anywhere in the world and get there fast than it has been at any point in history, right? 100, 150 years ago, you would literally have to get on a boat, on a ship and take months perhaps to get overseas. Now you can hop on a plane and be there in a day. Maybe God has placed you and me here in this time in history to be ambassadors to the world for Jesus Christ because we've heard the gospel and we can proclaim it and go and share it because it reflects the heart of God. He's always reaching out. He's always reaching out. And as he reaches out, We see then that God reaches out, not just to meet people, but also to purify them, make them clean, draw them to himself. So God's reaching out to the world. We also see here that God can make anybody clean. Look at chapter 10, starting in verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well-spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. All right, so Peter goes over the next day to the house of Cornelius. Cornelius has gathered all of his family. And if you look down at 28, then Peter says to Cornelius and his family, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. All right, so Peter is about to have lunch, right? He's praying. He's about to have lunch. He gets hungry and God sends this vision. He falls into a trance and in this vision is a big sheet and in the sheet are all kinds of animals. Now, that seems like a weird vision for people who are used to eating pretty much whatever we want, but all of these animals are there, and the voice from heaven says to Peter, Peter, go ahead and get up and kill all these things and eat them. Now, Peter, as a devout Jew, is horrified. He says, no, I've never eaten anything unclean. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus in particular, you will see God had specified what foods the people could eat. Uh, They could eat certain foods. They could not eat other foods. All right, Anything that slid along its belly, anything that walked right on its paws, they couldn't eat certain birds of prey, insects they couldn't eat, they couldn't eat rabbits because they, they didn't split the hoof and chew the cud, and they had all of these regulations for what they could and could not eat, and the regulations didn't only determine what went into their body, they also determined who they could associate with. Again, because Gentiles didn't keep these regulations, you as a Jewish person couldn't just invite a Gentile over to your house for dinner nor could you go into their house because even the pots and pans with which they cooked the food would have been unclean. Even the doors and walls of their house would have been unclean because the Gentiles who touched unclean animals or who didn't keep ritual purity with regard to dead people, they touched the walls. The walls became unclean. You touch the walls, you become unclean. Now you gotta go offer a sacrifice and bathe. And so they didn't eat with them. And so when this vision comes, Peter says, no, 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 I can't do that. God says, look, I've made it clean. I've made it. Don't call it common or unclean. Happens three times. And then Cornelius shows up at the door. Peter says, uh, what is it you need? Explain, Cornelius' servants, explain. Look, God appeared to Cornelius, said, you need to go share the gospel. And all of a sudden Peter goes, aha, God is telling me. Notice what he says in verse 28. Not just that foods are clean, but no person is unclean. That's the critical issue. Jesus Christ has broken this wall because the issue with the cleanliness regulations was that you could not approach God in cleanliness apart from obeying these laws. But once Jesus came, he died for sin. He rose again and paved the way for what? The Holy Spirit to enter into the heart of anyone who believes in him and wash us clean. And Jesus had hinted at this even during his ministry. Mark chapter 7. Jesus says, After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. You see, Jesus' point is this, that the ritual purity regulations about food only were a symbol of the fact that God needs to cleanse you from the inside out. And it's your heart that needs cleaning and foods can never do that. They can never make you clean. Sacrifices can never do that because the sacrifice of a bull or goat cannot remove your sin. Only the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ can do that. And so he breaks down this wall and he says, look, in Jesus Christ, anybody, anybody can be washed clean. One of the things that I love about our retreat is being able to sit down at meals and just talk with students and interact with students and have a good time meeting people. But one phenomena that I have noticed over the years that happens on our retreats is that I'll walk into the dining hall and often the tables are segregated by gender. And so I'll walk in and there's 15 girls at this table and 15 guys at this table and it's a little bit perplexing, but then I'll see, and I'm always a fan of the guy who will walk over to that table of girls and sit down. And start talking. And I love it because it's as if he's saying, look, the old rules from seventh grade, they no longer apply, right? We are new. We can intermingle and a new order is reigning upon the earth in which we can be friends with one another across these lines. And so somebody is brave to step forward and say, I'm going to break down these walls. That's what Peter is called to do through Jesus Christ to say, look, there are no dividing barriers between Jew and Gentile in Jesus Christ because he's made everybody clean through the gospel. And so when Peter preaches the gospel then in Cornelius' house, which we read at the very beginning, notice what he says. I'm going to read some of this again. Peter opens his mouth. He says, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. See, this is all of a sudden a new understanding for Peter. God isn't partial based on ethnicity, but anybody who, Who will believe in him has an opportunity to be acceptable. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he's Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. All right, and that goes back to Deuteronomy 21. If you are hanged on a tree, you bear God's curse. But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people, that is to the Jews, and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness now that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. You get this Peter says, "Oh my goodness, all of a sudden I recognize God shows no partiality. I'm not just supposed to preach to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. And if you believe in him, you can receive forgiveness of sins through the name of Jesus." This is the message that drove the early church and it's the message that has driven God's people for 2000 years that in Jesus Christ it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what you look like. You can Can know God because you can be cleansed in Jesus Christ. I don't know where each of you is this morning in your spiritual walk. It may be that you've not yet believed that. And the message for you is that you can know God. You can have forgiveness of all of your sin through Jesus Christ because he died for you and he rose again and he took away the barrier of sin. So you don't need the law. You don't need temple sacrifices. You don't need to do good works. Instead, you can approach him through Jesus Christ. And that was a new message. If you do know him, I think the message is this. There's no culture. There's no person. There's nobody too far from God. In their day and age, they primarily thought in terms of Jew and Gentile. I think often in our day and age, we think in terms of groups of people who are maybe Muslim or Hindu, or Buddhist, or atheist, and we think those people are far from God. And why would I go into those nations? Because maybe those people represent a threat to me. When they come into my country, maybe I should shut them out and not talk to them because they might threaten my way of life. Right? Instead, God says, no, I am reaching out through Jesus Christ to every group of people because anybody who will believe in me has the opportunity to receive eternal life. And so you and I are called like God to reach out and extend the offer that Jesus Christ died and rose again and can cleanse anybody. Then I love this, Jesus cleanses anybody who believes in him. And then as we move forward in the passage, we see now that God's spirit is the new defining mark of God's people. God's spirit is the new defining mark of God's people. Look at verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some day. So as Peter is talking, the Spirit of God comes upon them. They begin to manifest some of the same things that the men and women at Pentecost had done. They start speaking in tongues. They start praising God. They start preaching the gospel. And Peter recognizes the Spirit of God has now come upon these Gentiles. And what defines us now is not what we do. It's not the law. It's not our ethnicity. It is our allegiance to Christ and the fact that the Spirit is with us. That the Spirit comes upon those who are God's people. All right, Romans chapter 8, Paul says it this way, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Peter recognizes right, the new mark of those who are God's people is the Holy Spirit. And as he descends upon the church, the Spirit unites them together in a common confession of faith and in a common mission to share Jesus Christ. As you get even later into the New Testament, you look at the book of Galatians, chapter 3. Paul says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, What Paul means by this is obviously not literally, there's no such thing as men and women or Jews and Greeks. But what he means by this instead is that in Jesus Christ, these divisions that prevented people from drawing near to God no longer do so. Remember in the temple, they would have the court of the Gentiles. The Gentiles would be the farthest out. And then you know what they would have? They would have the court of the women. The women could come a little bit closer, but not as close as the Jewish men. And then of course they had the court of the priests and then the holy place and the holy of holies. And so there were these divisions in the temple that separated these groups. And Paul says, no, those divisions no longer separate us from knowing God because the Holy Spirit binds us together as men and women who know him. Those who profess to know Jesus Christ and have believed in him for forgiveness of sin and eternal life possess the Spirit. And the Spirit empowers us then to do his will, to proclaim him to the world. That's what binds us together. Like many of you, when I was in high school, I had a little letter jacket, right? Kind of a little jacket with leather sleeves and kind of a felt little front to it. And it had all kinds of patches and it had my high school's name on it. And it was my high school's colors. And I wore it when I was in high school. But of course, uh, when I got to college, I only wore it once or twice, right? Because uh, you recognize really quickly that it's just not as cool anymore to wear that symbol of identification. Instead, uh, once you get toward the end of your college career, you receive a new symbol of identification, right? A new one that replaces the old, because the old is obsolete. That's what's going on in the church. For all of their life, these Jewish men and women have identified themselves with the law, with the temple, with ritual purity. And now God moves in and says, no, no in Jesus Christ, you identify with the Holy Spirit. He's the defining mark. He's how you recognize those who are God's people. That's why Ephesians 1 says the Spirit has sealed us. It's a promise, a guarantee of our inheritance in the future. Those who know God are identified with the Spirit, and the Spirit marks them. That's why in chapter eleven, and I'm not going to read from chapter eleven, but just to summarize it, Peter goes back to the apostles and the leaders in the Jewish church, and they say, "Hey, you sat down and you ate with Gentiles." And Peter says, "Well, here's what happened," and he explains the whole story. And when he gets to the end of the story, the leaders they say, "Okay, so all of this happened," and Peter says, "Yes," and the Spirit of God came on them as I preached the gospel, and that's the trigger point at which these Jewish leaders go, "Oh." So God has granted repentance leading to life for the Gentiles as well as the Jews because the spirit of God came on them like he comes on us. You see what God is doing. He's constituting a new group of people no longer bound by where they come from, no longer bound by what they've done, no longer bound by anything in the past, but instead bound by the Holy Spirit to become a new family of men and women, like we saw in Revelation, that worships him. That's the mission of this church, is is to send out men and women all over the world. Whether you stay even in the United States or whether you go to another country, we want to send men and women out to participate in this mission, to spread the news of Jesus Christ across the world so that men and women from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation can come to know him. Whether you give to those who go, whether you go, we're all a part of it. As we move through the fall, very practically speaking, we are going to challenge you guys to consider going, to consider going maybe on a six-week trip, maybe for a year, and think about how that may impact not only your life, but how you can be a part of God's commission for the world because of what God is doing. So I've asked for just a few minutes this morning, Josh Shottle, one of our interns, is going to come up, talk just a little bit about his experience overseas and how God used it to transform his life and
1: connect him with this vision of God. Josh? Well, good morning. Matt said I'm an intern here. I'm usually out at Southwood, so that's maybe why you don't recognize me. I don't recognize a lot of you guys because I hang out there on Sunday morning. But it's good to be with you this morning. Um, Thanks for letting me have a little bit of your time, and I'm excited just to talk about what God has done through Summer Project uh, in my own life. Just for what Matt said, uh, not only in changing, transforming my life, but also just participating uh, in the gospel and God's desire for all nations to hear about it. So first I just want to tell you about how I kind of ended up on Summer Project. I was sitting in large group wrap-up time, fall or spring 2010, on a Tuesday night Bible study. Uh, For our wrap-up time, I took the time to talk about each Summer Project and where we go. I had no clue uh, what Summer Projects were about. I knew that summer overseas missions was a thing in this Christian world. I always thought it was just for missionaries, um, and I was not one of those. And so I knew I was looking for what I should be doing for the summer. I uh, thought if I was going to be working at a camp that I'd applied for, I'd already know about that. I so wasn't really feeling at peace. I uh, thought maybe you know it was too late to go on summer project or do anything overseas, uh, maybe next year. And then they talked about it that Tuesday night. I was like, okay, Lord, what are you doing? Um, I applied. It was like a week before the deadline. I applied. next thing I knew, I'd been accepted. I had time to start raising support. What in the world's happening? I'm going overseas to share the gospel. This missionary term all of a sudden applies to me, I think. I didn't know what that meant, though. So that's kind of how I ended up on Summer Project. Um, I'll just tell you up front, it has been the most impactful six weeks of my life. Transformational in lots of different ways. Um, And I just want to share that with you right now. I went to Greece. Sorry, I didn't tell you that. I went to Greece in 2010 and got to go back in 2011 uh, to our partnership over there. I remember walking up out of the metro station when we arrived uh, in Athens, and we walked up out of the metro at the base of the Acropolis. And you want to talk about feeling small when you go overseas to share the gospel and not knowing what you're doing, walk out of a metro station, look up and see the Acropolis. that is it's sneaking huge. You will feel very small. Uh, that was me. I was like, <laughs> I'm here, like... I've never been out of the country before. What am I doing? Um, so I just felt very inadequate. Um, and that, that was consistent, really, through a lot of the project. I was just feeling really inadequate at a, lot of, um, at a lot of different times and really feeling the weight of what I was doing. Like, this gospel has changed my life. Um, it's the Word of God. It's God desiring for people to know Him and really feeling the weight of that and feeling inadequate because of that. Um, just what proved to be true throughout the entire summer it was just how faithful God was, how God was the one at work. Um, it just really led me to be in awe of him, not only through seeing his people um, and seeing his work, but also just you get to see different parts of creation. I got to go to Greece. Um, we also got to make a trip through, through France to see a little bit of that. You fly over a lot of cool, really cool places. Um, I'm from East Texas. Pine trees are great. There's not a whole lot of variation, though. And so when I see a mountain, I go crazy. It's wonderful. My family never went skiing in Colorado or anything like that. Uh, so pine trees is what I've known, uh, lakes, that's what I've known, I see a mountain, I go crazy, and uh, they lead me to just be in awe of kind of who God is and his creation, and again, make me feel really small, um, but that turned out to be turned out to be very well. Uh, now, I just want to talk about kind of how it was so transformational for me, what summer project can do for you. Um, I was in Greece, we also go to East Asia, and we have a, a partnership with the a, a Muslim World um, kind of ministry, and so Those are the three options we have here at Grace. And I'm speaking from my experience in Greece, but I think these will be true for no matter which partnership you go to. Um, First, it's just gonna lead you to know God more. Um, Every part of Summer Project, from applying to raising support, which don't let that word scare you. um, Support, don't let it scare you. From raising support, to the training, to showing up in country and feeling super small. From going to people, initiating with random students on campus who speak a different language than you, and you're trying to reveal to them what you think is the most important news that they could ever hear in English, which maybe isn't their first language, every part of Summer Project is based off of faith. So your faith just grows tremendously. Um, you, you feel ina- inadequate. You're lost at times. You don't know how to get on a bus or where the bus goes. Um, everything, you trust in the Lord, particularly in sharing the gospel. And so your faith is just greatly impacted. Because of your dependence upon the Lord, um, lots of times you feel lost, and it's true. Lots of times you may get lost in a foreign city. That happened on one of our trips. Not me, someone else, but she was found and all is well. She's back here now. Um, so you may get lost, actually, but you'll, the Lord will bring you back. So yeah, just your, de- your dependence upon the Lord uh, and your faith. What is the basis of your, your uh, salvation? Your, your faith in Christ as your Savior is just greatly impacted. Secondly, like Matt was saying a lot today, you see the Lord's heart for people across this world. You get to experience a different culture. You get to relate with those people, and you get to see God through that. In Greece, they're some of the most fun and just loving people um, ever. They, they are very relational, which was what was attractive for me in going to Greece. Is, they told us it was very relational ministry. And I just really looking at Greek people you see the love for other people, you see the love for family um, come out in Greeks. Uh, they love you so much that they'll even skip exams, which probably isn't the best, but that's just the type of people they are. They love to relate with one another, and I think you can see God in that. And so you, see, you get to see different characteristics of God through the people you interact with. Also, my perspective towards others has just been greatly impacted through Summer Project as well. Um, I just want to read real quick from Second Corinthians uh, Matt referenced this a second ago, um, but this this kind of sums up my my heart for summer project as a whole, um, but really in this aspect as well second corinthians five we 'll start in verse eighteen. All this is from God who, through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting entrusting us the message of reconciliation, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. That's what Summer Project is about. Taking what God has done for you um, in your life and going to share that with other people. And so it's just really affected not just my time overseas and like that being a good experience, but coming back to the States, how I view people. People are either believers who need encouragement in their faith. They need a community. They need to be encouraged in that daily. Or people don't know the Lord and they need to know him. Um, and that's really changed become evident, I think, for me in my life, from my experience in my projects, and so just seeing people through the eyes of Christ, which sets you up well for what Matt was saying, our desire for wherever you go after you leave College Station, after you leave being a part of grace, that you'll be grounded in the gospel and you'll participate in sharing that. So just my perspective on other people has been greatly affected as well. Finally, it's just led me to praise God a lot. It's led me to worship from all that dependence, from feeling very small, from just everything you experience from seeing God move from being in, in Greece in 2010, meeting an atheist, and going back in 2011, seeing her come to know the Lord, it leads you to praise, praise God. So just, yeah, that's all I can say about that. But that's what it's going to lead you to do as well. And so finally, uh, just kind of my challenge, first and foremost, I'd tell you just pursue God first. That's our greatest desire is that you're pursuing the Lord daily. We care more about that before we care about what you do in the summer. So pursue God, and that will lead you to a piece about where you do this summer. And then secondly, I'd say trust God in what seems crazy, because that's what it seemed like to me. Going to Greece, never been overseas, I'm leaving for six weeks, that seems crazy and ridiculous. Let's do it. So just trust God in that. Also, more practical, um, not more practical, but a weekly thing. Uh, We have our prayer for the nations thing. Uh, Each week we meet at Mugwalls at 7 a.m. Tuesday morning we pray for East Asia Partnership. Wednesday morning we pray for Greece. Thursday morning, we pray for uh, trade winds. our Muslim partnership. I invite you to just come. Maybe you don't know which partnership you'd like to go to. Check one of them out. Check all three of them out. Go pray for a country and see how the Lord affects your heart and changes it for that. So I'd invite you to those as well. And then finally, I'd just say apply and go on Summer Project. It's going to transform your life. It's going to set you up well for wherever you go in the world. And God has called us to, to go and make disciples of all nations. He said he's making this appeal through us, and it's a wonderful experience that it just really changes your heart. So that's all I've got. Thanks for your time, and that's coming back up. All
0: right. Well, I couldn't have said it better. I don't really have much to add. We're going to close out in worship and. As we do, I just, uh, for each of us, want us to ask this question. Will we participate in God's mission to bring Christ's message to the entire world? We're going to get you guys some more information in the coming weeks. And many of y'all know the Breakaway Go conference also is coming up in November. And we'll encourage you toward that, but also get you more specific information about how you can participate here as well. So let's close out. Father, we praise you and want to praise you with all that we have. Lord, I know that your spirit is in this room moving in our hearts and the hearts of many in here this morning, convicting us of our sin and challenging and exhorting us to use our lives for your glory, that we do not belong to ourselves, but we belong to To you through the blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I pray, Father, for those here who are feeling this way, that as we go out, you might turn these feelings into action, that we would go throughout this city, throughout this world, and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ for the sake of your glory, with all that we have. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. A wonderful week.